Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, in both the story we hear today and the words I offer up, speak to us. Give us what we need to move forward in faith, trusting more deeply in your love for us and for all of your creation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you may know, we are in the middle of a sermon series on the core stories of our faith. Up to this point, we have heard about the promise that was made to Abraham and Sarah, the exodus, the departure of the people from Pharaoh and the land of Egypt, and the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And it's a really good chance these stories were all familiar to you, stories you have heard many times before. I'm guessing that's not going to be the case with today's account from the book of Joshua. Raise your hand if you've read the book of Joshua. Good job. I hadn't read it until seminary. But today, it holds in story important for us to hear. But it might just be the most unfamiliar of all the core stories. It's the account of the people of God stepping into the promised land. Today's story serves as a bookend to the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. In fact, it sounds a lot like the first time the Israelites passed through the waters, and that's not by accident. The story is meant to stir our memory of the Exodus, because after 40 years of wandering in the desert, it can be easy to forget that the Israelites were set free from Pharaoh for a purpose, to have a life and a land of their own. So listen now for God's word to you and to me. Early in the morning, Joshua rose and set out from Shittim with all the Israelites, and they came to the Jordan. They camped there before crossing over. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a heap far off at Adam. The city is beside Zarathon. While those flowing toward the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan River until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Now at the beginning of everything, the earth was a formless void covered by water. Water as far as the eye could see. And from this water, everything we know was created, brought forth, shaped into the image of God. By this same water, a tree of knowledge grew in the center of the garden, the garden, and this tree bore fruit, fruit that gave wisdom, wisdom that propelled us out of Eden and into the world. Things progressed there as things do until humanity had lost sight of what God intended. And so once again, water appeared. Buckets and buckets of it this time, washing the earth clean. 
After 40 long days and nights atop that water in a crowded boat with animals, Noah and his family stepped out onto dry land. And as they did, they looked up to the heavens to see light passing through water, the same water that destroyed everything they had known. But as the light passed through this water, it made a rainbow, a sign that came with a promise. God would never use water that way again. Time again passed, as it often does, until God speaks again, this time to an old man and his wife who are given an unbelievable promise in their old age. If you leave the land you have always known, I will give you and your descendants a great nation. And in faith, they take the deal. The descendants of this man and his wife multiply, and they wander, and they end up, of all places, as slaves to one of the great kings of the earth, Pharaoh. They cry out to God, God hears them, and God makes another promise, this time to a man named Moses, who we first meet in the waters of the Nile. A man who, despite a fear of speaking, implores the mighty Pharaoh, let my people go, and after a whole lot of trouble, Pharaoh does let them go, and the people leave Egypt briefly in peace until they are forced to flee when Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army in pursuit. On the cusp of being destroyed, water again appears. And what looks like a barrier is transformed as God parts the waters of the sea. Two walls of water make a way for the people of God to pass through. Two walls of water held back by God's gracious hand until Pharaoh and his army are washed away. On the other side of this water that has become a tomb for their oppressors, the people of God are sustained by water from a walk, rock and manna formed from the dew, tiny droplets of water on the ground. And they live this way for 40 years, 40 years between the waters, until they find themselves once again at the edge of a body of water, this time not as an oppressed people, but as those empowered to claim what God has promised. You may have noticed it, but there's this pattern that repeats itself in the stories of our tradition. A promise is made, water appears, people walk through it, and everything changes. A promise is made, water appears, people walk through it, and everything changes. Which makes me wonder if we've got water all wrong. Maybe it's because of how easily we can take a warm shower or jump in a cool pool or pull cold water quickly out of a tap. But when we think of water, we think of being cleaned and cleansed and refreshed and renewed. Water is what gives and restores life. It's what cleanses and purifies. And sure, water can do all of that. But did you hear in the stories of our faith, did you hear that water is also a powerful force, a force of chaos and a force of change, a force that only God, it seems, can contain? Water is a body God has to hold back and reform at creation. Water is a power that can flood the entire earth. Water is a terror that fills every parent's nightmares when their child is first learning to swim. And water is the rising tides, nature's rebuttal to our indifference. Water has the power to both give life and take it away. 
And this tension lies at the heart of every single baptism. Now, we do all we can to make baptism beautiful and sweet by pouring clean, chlorinated water in a fresh, lovely bowl and then gently sprinkling water, most often on a child's head. And it is a beautiful thing, my favorite sacrament of them all, but make no mistake about it, baptism is also a tad bit dangerous. It's a radical reorientation and a rebirth, and for anyone who has witnessed a birth, you know birth is painful and messy and not without its scars. The waters of baptism cleanse us and claim us, but they also propel us into an unknown future. And even though God is with us in this life on the other side, it is not a life without struggle, uncertainty, or even uncomfortable feelings. In her book, The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, Dr. Lisa Damore offers guidance to parents as they seek to understand and appreciate God. Help us understand and appreciate the intense and fraught emotional life of teenagers. Dr. Damore was compelled to write this book because she noticed in her counseling practice over the years an important change taking place in the lives of the teenagers with whom she worked. Instead of seeing uncomfortable feelings as a necessary and helpful tool for personal growth, uncomfortable feelings had come to be seen as a psychological state that ought to be prevented or, failing that, banished as quickly as possible. They were getting this message from their parents, from schools, and from the media. Her point is that we have grown uncomfortable with feeling uncomfortable, which makes it really hard to get to the other side. Speaking of uncomfortable feelings, can you imagine how it would have felt to stand in the middle of a raging river with a swirling wall of water full of fish that you can see standing in a heap just to your side as you walk across? Can you imagine how uncomfortable it would feel to stand in the middle of a river on dry ground amidst all that chaos with the familiar behind you and the unknown lying ahead? Make no mistake, what the people of God did that day at the banks of the Jordan River took an enormous amount of courage and faith. The Jordan is no lazy river you can float down on an inner tube sipping your favorite drink with an umbrella. It's one of the fastest rivers in the entire world with a breathtaking descent that starts at 9,000 feet above sea level and in 223 miles ends 1,400 feet below the sea. Today's story in Joshua is a baptism of sorts, a sign and a seal of the promise given to Abraham and Sarah all those years ago. And just like our baptisms, life on the other side of the water for the Israelites ends up looking a lot like the life did before, full of conflict, struggle, questions, uncomfortable feelings, and even, it appears, other people. Now, when we hear the words promised land, we often think of a place, a region, that has been fought over for centuries. But this story reminds us that the promised land is not a place set apart from all the rest. The promised land is wherever we end up after a promise is made. 
Water appears, we walk through it, and everything changes. A few years ago, I was reading a book about addiction where the author discussed the need to face the shame that often fuels addictive behaviors. To illustrate this point, he shared the really odd strategy deep sea divers employ when they encounter a shark. Instead of swimming quickly away from the shark, they swim towards it with courage and confidence. It's crazy, but it turns out that sharks are so used to being predators, they startle when they are the prey. I wonder if Jesus had water in mind when he told the people over and over again to be not afraid. After all, his life followed the same pattern we hear in the stories of our faith. Jesus knew that to get to the other side, to live into the promise, to fulfill his work, he had to face his fears. He had to step into the water, into the chaos, and then trust that God would see him through and be there with him on the other side. A promise is made, water appears, he walks through it, and everything changes. This is the pattern of Jesus' life. This is the pattern of the life of faith. This is the pattern that dominates my life and your life too. We are people of the promise, who have walked through water, who believe life can be better, fuller, more meaningful on the other side of whatever barrier it is that is standing between where we are and where we long to be. We are people of the promise who have walked through water, which means we know that uncomfortable feelings and challenging situations and seemingly insurmountable barriers are opportunities for us to rediscover both our courage, our capacity, our power, and even more importantly, the faithfulness, power, and mercy of our God. Every time you find yourself at a crossroads, at that moment when you know the past, it's over and you can feel a future you cannot see calling you forth. Whenever you are at that spot in your life when you know, when you really know that something has to change now, things can't stay the same. Whenever you're at that place, you're standing before a body of water. Maybe it's a career transition that's looming on the horizon or a relationship that needs a reboot. Maybe it's a mindset you know needs to change, but you fear the work you know you have to do to change it. Or maybe it's that way of coping that no longer serves you, a compulsion that has become an addiction that is demanding your attention. Whatever it is, the only way out is through. The only way to discover life on the other side is to walk through the uncertainty through the chaos, through the very same waters that have the power to wash you away, trusting that God will be with you every single step of the way, holding the waters that swirl around you, holding them at bay, 
until you and the God that loves you reach the other side. Amen.